You're listening to the Chelsea Zerna Podcast, a podcast that inspires conscious leaders to live meaningful lives and to get in touch with the deepest parts of the human experience. My name's Chelsea Zerna, and I'm a women's empowerment coach with the mission of rewilding the feminine back into society. Each week, I have a conscious conversation with best-selling authors, inspiring leaders, and spiritual lightworkers who aren't afraid to step into the unknown and explore the greatest truths of life. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the Chelsea Zerna podcast. I'm sitting down with Nicole Gibson, the CEO of Love Out Loud. She is on a mission to empower 350 million people to love. Yes, I am. Welcome. Your voice is actually the best. <laughs> I don't know if you want me to say that on your podcast Thank or not. Thank you. Yes, you can say anything, anything that you want. Natural born interviewer. <laughs> Welcome to my podcast. <laughs> I love it. Very cool. But for the listeners, it's actually how Chelsea speaks all the time. <laughs> yes, I do carry the same podcasting voices in real life. <laughs> it's quite a gift. <laughs> Have you ever considered a radio career? Oh, no. You know, I had a psychic tell me that recently. Really? Yeah, she told me I was going to be on a TV show. Makes so much sense. I mean, yeah. I, I wasn't saying that you only have the voice. You also have the face. Ooh, yeah. thank you. You're welcome. I appreciate that. Awesome. Yeah, digression. <laughs> digression. <laughs> yes. So uh, Nicole and I are at Mind Valley University right now, mm-hmm. and she just got done speaking on stage, and she has this amazing mission uh, for empowering 350 million people. Can you tell us a little about what you're trying to do? what you're already doing. Yeah. So Love Out Loud wants to engage 350 million people around the world uh, because that's 4% of the population. And I was always totally obsessed with the idea from a pretty young age, actually, of what it would actually take to change the world. Genuinely, what does it actually take to change the world? And through various different journeys, Um, and looking at the perspective of philosophers, of physicians, of thought leaders, pretty much all of them say that there is a point that becomes a tipping point, a critical mass. And most people agree um, that's around 4%. And that idea just excited me so much. You know, like if we can genuinely engage, and I talked about this in my talk, genuine engagement, not just knowing about it, but actually helping empower people to live love, to have enough courage to choose love moment to moment, that can change not only to the trajectory of those 350 million people's lives, which is already so amazing, it can actually completely um, assist us to be able to quantum leap into a different trajectory for, for humanity. And that, that there's nothing else I can think would be inspire me more to dedicate my life to doing. Seriously, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And what's your biggest what's your biggest way of doing that? Like how are you empowering all of these people? You're speaking on stage across mm. the world. That's right? a great it's a really great question. I was having this conversation with someone today. Um, how do we do it? You know, the how, even though I, I really believe that by being it, it, it does itself. When you hold the space yeah. for it to happen, it creates itself. It just runs through you when you're so yeah. connected to spiritually. However, and I said this to you guys before, it's not about me doing this. And I have to constantly be aware and hold it in my awareness that this is a collective movement. This is a movement of we, us, our. And what's so beautiful is um, that feedback that I often get when people talk to me about Love Out Loud. They'll use language, like our movement. 
us. We and to me that it, it needs to be inbuilt in the way that the message is communicated, but also the way the movement's designed. So how do we continue continually leverage the community to organically grow more and more and more and more? We can't be dependent on a single person. Yeah. So where did you get the idea for Love Out Loud? Not even Love Out Loud, but just your mission mm. of empowering love over fear in general. You told this story on stage of you know, getting into the end of this, this cliff or this bungee jump and taking the leap, but I feel like it's so deeply ingrained. It's like that message of fear and love mm. is like what's driving the world right now. Totally. Like that's Always. A, yeah. I think throughout history, they're the only two choices. Dr. Joe Dispenza talks about this. It's only ever zeros or one. Mm-hmm. Are, you, yeah. are you open or closed? You know, mm-hmm. and to me, that's love and fear. Fear is restrictive, um, judgmental, and creates separation. And love is the opposite. It's altruistic. It's creative. Um, and we can make those choices, you know, and and we do. So become a, becoming aware of it is is amazing because that is, you know, that's when we really can moment to moment make such a huge impact in the world when we realize that when we become conscious. Well, how am I making my choices right now? And I've always been like, I've always worked in helping people and in service. I started a nonprofit in Australia when I was 18. Mm-hmm. What was it about? Mental health. Yeah. And um, again, like pretty unconventional views mm-hmm. of how I wanted to support mental health, which came from my own experiences. Yeah. Um, going through that and realizing, you know, there was actually something even more traumatic about me going into a therapist's office <clears throat> in isolation to my community. And then, yeah, sure, being given a space to be somewhat open and vulnerable but then having to, like, sew myself back together because my community, my family still didn't have the room to accommodate. Yeah, so for you, you were going to therapy for years doing mental health. You are kind of going recovery, through this yeah. recovery. And um, for you, it was, like, more about community, Yeah, right, like bringing people together in this so that it's not so isolated. You're sitting in a therapist's mm-hmm. office talking one-on-one. You're like talking about it openly, which in society and culture is not a huge, you know, people aren't ready to just jump in and talk about the deepest parts of themselves publicly. I think they are ready. We just don't have permission. Like you saw Mm -hmm. it, right? Like in in the session that we just ran, like people are ready. They really are. I trust that. I think um, maybe we just don't have enough people courageous enough to be the permission giver. Yeah. Giving that safe space for people to do that, creating spaces. Yeah, because there's the the fear of um, being the first one and potentially risking your own rejection. That's a really it's a it's a frightening thing for people because back in the day we're wired to believe that rejection, separation from the tribe, meant death. Um, and I, that's very ingrained in us. Yeah, I just was in a really unique position after working with so many people in the nonprofit. We worked with hundreds of thousands of people whilst I was CEO of that organization. Um, and after I worked with, I'm sorry, what we would do to give context is go into communities and use models of community development and community engagement and draw the parallels between building community and positive impact on mental health, which is sort of known today, but 10 years ago that was not, no one was doing that. Yeah. You know, it was sort of like in the minds of the mainstream, they were two completely unrelated things. No one thought, actually, if we have community and we have belonging and we have inclusion, that would probably have an impact on the rates of suicide. We'd probably have a rate on the impact, impact on the rate of addiction, so on and so forth. So we really brought light to that. 
we were one of the first organizations in Australia that pioneered that conversation. And now community mental health is, it's a well-known thing. You yeah. Know, prevention and early intervention and even, you know, now how mainstream mindfulness is and yoga, like these are not mainstream 10 years ago. Not at all. Yeah. Not at all. Actually, that's what inspired me to get into coaching. My mom had, she struggled with depression her entire life, like chronic depression. And I was always like, how can I help her? I have this like deep, strong urge to help her. And I, I thought it was fitness. I thought it was like moving your body because, you know, she'd come home from work and she would kind of just go onto the couch and just like sleep for hours and hours. And she would just yeah. constantly be sleeping. And it really, it was hard. Like mm -hmm. as it was hard watching her. I wasn't experiencing it. But I was experiencing it in a different way. Experienced a version of it. Yeah. yeah. And I and I was just like, what can I do to help her? Like, I really want to do something. And as I got older, I was like, maybe it's fitness. And I would like, and then I got really fit to like encourage her and motivate her. Like intuitively, I knew that like moving your body like moves around the mm -hmm. energy, but that wasn't getting to the core of what it was. Yeah. And it wasn't until I stepped into coaching that I kind of was able to like uncover and really help go into the emotional body <coughs> of it. Yeah. Right. And like it was really way deeper and it was just like creating safe space for her to express herself. Yeah. And that's like all she she just needed love. Yeah. She wanted love, not judgment. She didn't want someone telling her how to fix how her because be, nothing yeah. was broken. Mm. It was just like, how can I love you more? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's all it. she wanted. Yeah. yeah. The space. Yeah. The thing is, we can't transcend our circumstances until they're fully acknowledged. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like we need, it's sort of like, if you worked in fitness, you would have seen this. The biggest issue that people have with, say, weight loss is they can't accept themselves as they are in that moment. They can't love themselves. But without loving yourself first, how do you make the decisions that you need to do in order to get the result that you're after? You know, we try and, like, whip ourselves, punish ourselves into a different state of being, but it's not, it's not effective. That's why we have to learn to choose love. And then, you know, the beautiful part about that is love is somewhat effortless in its own flow once you find that then all of those things that you think you want just happen you know it's, it's like a magic totally yeah and people think of love as this limited resource that we have it's mm. like i'm only going to give it to this person or, or this person yeah. or yeah or exactly instead of this abundant infinite energy that you could give and receive at any point with yeah, any like person what do people not <laughs> it's so amazing like we literally have this medicine inside of all of us mm -hmm. abundantly yeah you know like that's why for me knowing what i know and feeling what i feel Engaging 4% of the population, like, it's already done. It's just mm -hmm. not even – it's it's so instilled inside all of us. All the world needs is someone to talk about it. Totally. That's it. Yeah, and I was having this conversation earlier. I feel like in the United States, saying love is the answer is so commonplace that I want to, like – like, I'm curious at what your opinion is. Like, how can you mm. create – a way of saying this is such a powerful message mm -hmm. but the people that are working in like corporate life is just like oh that's so fluffy but it's not like it's truth mm -hmm. but it sounds fluffy oh love is the answer it sounds very hippie I think but it's, it's so people true often ask me this question and you know I think it's um authenticity is felt no matter what and I I don't think that I think people have people say that the words are bastardized but they're not it's like it's the the people haven't embodied it fully that that have given those words this um, this bias, you know. It's um, 
it's like when you you think you love someone and you've said I would love you a million times to a million different people and then you actually fall in love and you're like holy fucking shit like <laughs> it is so shit scary to say these words and and when that person maybe sends it back to you like it means everything it shatters every cell in your body like it, it's not the words it's the resonance yeah where are they coming from you know how embodied are those words where where does that come from inside of you you know I have stood in front of corporations in front of parliament you know in front of these people that oh, you know, are they going to think that it's airy-fairy? Like, no, they fucking listened. They looked yeah. at me and they listened because I had something to say. I think there's a lot of people in the world that want to have something to say but they don't actually have anything to say. Mm-hmm. Truly. Like, what do you really have yeah. to say, you know? Mm-hmm. And you can be fighting for, you know, that, that validation and, and that stage, but if you really had that stage, what change are you really going to instill into the minds and hearts of the people that you're speaking to? Yeah, and have you always had that fierce confidence with speaking your your message like that or a message like that, even if the message was still developing and you were still in the early stages, like you just got up there and you were like, I'm so passionate about Mm. this that it needs to be heard and I need to say it? Once I connected to it, it wasn't about me anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, it it wasn't about how how I am or how how it looked or what the fuck I wore or like – it, was, it, just, it wasn't even in the equation. That's why when I hear people worry about those things, I'm like, you don't actually have anything to say. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. your why is not strong enough if you can't yeah, say it with that. Exactly. Like if it was really there, you can't help but do it. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's, a, it's a compulsion for me. Yeah. It's, it's an obsession. I, I have to. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, you it's, feel this like deep calling that if you don't say it, like it's not, the world will not be changed in the way that you see it wanting to be changed. I just can't not. Yeah. Like it's not even. It's yeah. not even that. Like I wish I had a choice sometimes. Yeah. And where does that fire? Where did it like stem from? Like that core of you, like your driving force behind your why. Um, I think partially experiences of pain. Yeah. You know, I had um, a man come up to me once in a presentation, and he shared with me, and he said, when I was young. My father would torture me. He would put me in a box and he would leave me there. And he actually tortured me. And never have I ever felt anyone had the capacity to understand that. And I was taken back, right? I've never, I've never experienced an abuse like that ever. It's horrific. And um, I said, brother, no, I, you know, I can't. That's never happened to me. I don't understand that. And he looked me dead in the eye and I went through a five-year battle with anorexia, which I shared in that presentation. And he said, it wasn't done to you, you did it to yourself. And I kind of broke down, you know, having that acknowledged by an audience member because that's true in a way. You know, the, the cage that I built, the box that I put around myself um, and what I listened to in terms of that, the voice of that eating disorder was like being put in a box and being completely suffocated and tortured day in, day out. Like I was hungry, starvingly hungry every day of my life for years. That's a type of torture that not a lot of people can understand. But I think the gift in that was liberation, liberation from pain, understanding that even when you take pain to that extremity, actually it's, it's still not our truth. I was so deep in that torture and yet there was still a light inside of me. Yeah. Still that deep in the darkness, there was um, 
there was something else that was higher. Mm. Yeah. And when I realized that, you know, I would punish myself and punish myself and punish myself and punish myself. And still there was something else that wanted my attention. And I had to, I either had to die or I had to surrender to that and let it have me. Mm. And to me, that is like the most, um, the deepest practice of spirituality, every moment giving yourself to something higher, something more. Totally. Especially the act of surrender. Yeah. Like it's like the control versus the surrender. And like I talk about like the feminine and the masculine energy a lot. Like mm. I'm really passionate about that subject, mm. partly because I was so into my masculine energy. Like I was so deeply into it. And when I say that, I mean like the yang energy. Mm. It's not like man or woman but the yang energy, which is a beautiful energy. It's, it's very direct. It's very focused. Mm. It's also really good at placing limitation on things yeah. so that it can create within that limitation. Yeah. And I was so in that space that I wasn't in the flow at all. Mm. Like I wasn't in this like flow. And I think surrender is a huge part of that. Mm. And from what I know about um, eating disorders, it's um, like – it's also this idea of limiting and control mm -hmm. and surrender is one of the most difficult but freeing things that a person can do with their mind and anything. And yeah. I mean, I'm you know, not an expert on eating disorders, but just being able to surrender into mm -hmm. anything almost gives you like this freedom and this like connection to something outside of yourself. Totally. Yeah. But it was, that concept was sort of counterintuitive to my therapy. That's where I got to, had to get to in myself in order to um, heal and move beyond that and allow this rhythm. And that's how I see it. Like I've just been surfing a wave for 10 years. That's how it feels. This, this wave of what I've developed, it's just a single energy that I've just trusted and trusted and trusted. And yeah. when people have called me crazy, I've just kept trusting. I never got off the wave. And I hope to ride that wave all the way to 4%. You know? <laughs> yes. Because I'm so close. Like yeah. pe people think that right now I have such a long way to go. They don't fucking see like, <laughs> where I've been surfing this wave from. Like yeah. this is, I'm at the, I'm at the, the end. Like this is the end 2% for me. And then, you know, there'll be another wave as there always is. For sure. Um, but yeah, the, what I was going to say is my therapist would always say, you've got to see the eating disorder as separate to you. And you would even use like objects on a desk and be like, imagine this stapler is your eating disorder and imagine this paperclip is, is your, you know, your real self and you know, the voice of all these other people. And it was so com compartmentalized and yeah. I just couldn't heal in that. I had to get to a place where I surrendered to the fact that actually that voice of perfectionism is me. But through surrendering to it meant that I no longer was defined or confined by it. That's so huge. Yeah. You know, it's I've actually heard that a ton in the past year. A lot of people go to therapists, and I've had a girl say that she's been a therapist for like 10 years. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until she found spirituality in yeah. the way of um, this infinite mindset that actually healed her. Yeah. And she was, I mean, spending thousands and thousands of dollars each year and I'm actually really interested in um I think spirituality is so powerful mm. and I'm curious why therapists are not diving deeper into that it's like mm -hmm. I feel like for you you went to therapy for a while and then all of a sudden 
surrender was actually what you needed most. And that's a huge spiritual concept that not a lot of therapists, it's almost like a separation, right? Like science and spirituality. Yeah, yeah. And the objectivity of it. Whereas healing, you actually need to be a vessel and feel it all so you can transmute it. Yeah. But I think this is a very powerful point and a powerful question that you're asking. And I, the first thing I want to say to that is I think sometimes we get very blinded by someone's title. You know, just because someone is a therapist doesn't really mean anything other than the fact they pass all of their subjects at university. You got it. Certain, you know, like that is literally that's all it means. Yeah. But who are they as a human being? You know, what was their reason for studying therapy? How much of that was um, self-orientation? You know, what are their relationships like in their life? Do they leave the office and go back to a home and abuse their partner? Like, totally. You know, there's a, there's a strong chance there are therapists like that that exist in the world. And I'm not saying that that is my view of all therapists. What I'm saying is can we just humanise for a second the characteristics and the qualities of that person Yeah. rather than being so blinded by someone's title? That's why when Annie introduced me on stage, she was like, I know Nicole doesn't like titles. And it's, it's true. Like I've had some impressive titles. But I don't want people to know me as that. Yeah. Like make up your own mind. Totally. Ex- experience me. Yeah. But if I tell you that I was a Commonwealth Commissioner and I'm a CEO and I won all of these awards and, like, immediately that's going to define, it can't help but because we're like that as human beings, your experience in me. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to subconsciously change the questions you ask me and it's going to subconsciously change um, how you place me in your life, you know, or, sure. or what you reach out to me for. And I've, I've experienced this, like, I've seen, because I really see people and I want to love people. Yeah, I want to have that connection. I with feel people, that. You know? <laughs> yeah. So what hurts me more than anything is when I can see someone and I see that there's parts of us that would actually really genuinely connect. But when they find out that I, you know, have, have dinners with X, Y, and Z, all of a sudden they're not reaching out to have a chat and, and honor our connection. They're reaching out because they want an introduction you know, mm. or, or yeah. they want to be closer to this other thing. And, like, I don't say that with any sort of, oh, I want to protect my network. You know, the beautiful thing is when you honour the truth of your connection to someone and the humanity in that, then through love, my world becomes your world. But let's just, like, get what's real first and then allow that to come. And I think, you know, in a, in a lot of communities I see this often, people's approach to um, the influences in that community is never fucking real. And they wonder why they can't get any further, you know, why they can't progress. Because someone who has influence, like you can see it a mile away. You have a thousand people wanting to connect with you every day. You can can smell it like that, you know. Someone that can actually approach you and be real and show vulnerability and be like, there's a part of myself that I see in you. And like leave themselves open so that possibility of a genuine connection, if it's meant to be, it will be. You totally. know, and if that person's Absolutely. network is meant to be your network, it will be, yeah. as an example. Yeah, and when I met you and I saw you, I felt this energy of total, not only self-acceptance, but acceptance for everybody that you came into contact with to the point where after I left, I started asking myself, what is the most accepting thing that I can say to this person to make them feel very at ease with who they are? Mm. Like I consciously spent the rest of my day doing that. Amazing. Because it was just so powerful. And I felt that you naturally just respond like that. Mm. Like even at the end of our 
when I asked you to be my podcast, I said, I promise I won't cry. And you said, actually, it would be great if you did. (laughs) And it was just, even if I I did, didn't, whatever, it was the fact that I felt so totally accepted in anything yeah and that's like a very beautiful energy to carry it's it's (laughs) amazing like acceptance is such a powerful thing I'm so I'm passionate about acceptance because when there's acceptance then anything that's meant to truly arise in the space like what is genuine can yeah but without that acceptance it's like it it doesn't have space. There's like some judgment in the air, yeah. some block. Yeah. It's not creating like that safe enough container. Totally. And like self acceptance, you know, is then for me to accept myself, I have to accept you. Mm-hmm. Because I'm one, I'm perceiving you. Two, I'm in the situation that you're in. So through accepting myself and really like being genuinely curious, like what is the experience I'm meant to be having in this moment? Like yeah. what is the most authentic genuine thing like why am I here right now I ask myself these questions like why why did this person come and talk to me you know but if I had all these judgments I wouldn't be able to actually discover that yeah and that gets in the way of my development totally you know yeah and then you start living in flow more yeah it's like you can almost have more discernment intuitively on somebody that's saying hey let's do this you can almost have discernment on this isn't integrity this isn't this is totally in flow let's just be open to it yeah right Exactly. So question on intuition for you. So I ask everybody on this podcast about this. This world-famous <laughs> podcast. Yeah. Yes. All of the great people that have been on it. Yeah. Share it around. And um, it's really – intuition for me is obviously a huge topic, especially feminine, masculine. Um, mm. Just the feminine energy is so intuitive. Yeah. Where, what's a situation in your life where – nothing logically made sense like at all and your intuition that was like very pivotal that you were like everybody's saying not to do this mm-hmm. and logically it doesn't make sense right like everyone's saying this is a bad idea but I'm doing it anyways because I'm so my intuition's telling me yeah. to literally like every day <laughs> every every day I live that but I will find a couple of pivotal examples but literally it's like so much of my life doesn't make any logical sense. Yeah. Just imagine me, 19, dining with the Prime Minister as the youngest commissioner in history, <laughs> dressed in, like, ripped jeans and docks, like, having dinner in Parliament House. Like, what the fuck, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> I want to share a story after. I'm not going to share on this podcast because this person's, um, I don't, you know, I yeah, just yeah, I yeah. respect other people's confidenti- confidentiality. But ask me that after because I have another funny story on that. But for me, pivotal moments, like, they can be regarding intuition as my intuition is so strong that even, like, I'll give give a basic example. Yesterday um, I left the house with my roommate at, like, 4 p.m. It was really hot. There was absolutely no sign that it was going to rain. And I bought my raincoat. I didn't check the weather. And everyone was like, why are you bringing that? I was like, I just feel like I should bring it. You know, like, it's down to that. Yeah. That level of interest, intricacy now, my intuition is, and I, because I've trusted it so much, I don't question it anymore. That's you know, awesome. I'm just like, okay, that came up for a reason. I think it's the same with like, often people will think to say something, and I think that that's for a reason. Like you're in a group, or if you have an intuitive feeling to um, introduce yourself to someone, mm-hmm. or yeah. you know, take a different direction. Like we have this intuitive voice that's constantly communicating with us but we're so used to I think just like dismissing it 
yeah, yeah, well, that doesn't make sense. So, no, but like, what is sense? What is logic? Like, sense? This is a really interesting thing to me. Sense is a sense. So why have we made it mean, like, oh, that doesn't make sense, like, as if that's not, that's not logical. Like, yeah, that's a sense, good point. You know, the word sense itself, is beyond it's, that. You know, it's, it's beyond logic. Your, like yeah. literally, like a feeling a in your body. Exactly. <laughs> so, like, be sensitive to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, because that it's communicating with you. Mm-hmm. And even there's science now that um, has proven the heart knows things for a significant period of time, respectively, to the brain. Like, I think it's like a few seconds, but when you think about it, mm-hmm. yeah, before something's actually happened, your heart already knows. Like, for sure that's insane like science has proven that and even if it's a few seconds too like even the idea of logic is everything exactly. that we know we have it's no our evidence. belief system based on everything that we've been in contact with yeah and there's so much of the world that we have our own filter that's definitely that you could have a totally different filter even of this conversation totally like, totally dude. different filter and your logic is different from mine but yeah. the way we say this is fact it's yeah. still a filter over the fact. Totally. Well, there's no such <laughs> thing. Like, the word fact actually comes from a Latin word. I think the origins was factum or something like that. And it actually means um, false. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like even the origins of that word are like, so you know, so it doesn't mean anything. Like, yeah. But, yeah, and you, you see this, right? Like, I experienced this a lot when I was younger because my logic – was really genius, but it was also really different. So, like, the way that I would solve puzzles because I'm super creative or problem solve, I would draw two very distant um, ideas together in a way that was really lateral and people would be like, that doesn't make sense. And I, for ages, thought that I just wasn't smart. And then I left mainstream school at um, 14 to pursue theatre and it was an excellence academy and part of the – process was we had to do IQ and EQ testing and my score was like ridiculous like a genius you know it was like almost 140 IQ yeah but I spent my most of my life being like I'm not I can't do what other kids can do but what I could do was you know maybe they were drawing like A and B together I can draw like A and Z together but because it wasn't in the frame of of that paradigm it was dismissed. That's incredible, right? Yeah. And most scientists that make the best discoveries are these out of the box. Exactly, crazy you have to be. That, right? Because yeah. if you're in the box, everything's already been discovered inside that yeah. box. Exactly. And that's why it's so crazy when these scientists are trying to come up with parallels between um, spirituality and science, yeah. without or 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 just totally disregarding spirituality at all. Mm. And they're just trying to make these scientific discoveries. And I'm like, but how do you do that if it's all based on limitation? Yeah, well, the, the best scientists in the world, especially, like, physicians, will say that imagination is, like, crucial. Imagine it because sure. they, they have to envision a new possibility. Like, think about far-off stars, far-off planets. Like, if, if we believe that the only stars in the whole universe were in our solar system or our galaxy, we never would have expanded further in our scientific research totally which has now been validated but there had to be someone to be like what if Mm. and i'm obsessed with just that like what if what if just fucking entertain it for a second what if there was another solar system somewhere else you know what if i didn't have to be defined by this limitation Mm. what if Mm -hmm. you know how how would that look 
And that was hugely like a massive part of, of my therapy, my self therapy, was just asking myself that. You know, what if I didn't have to be so defined by my ego construct? Yeah, for what sure. Would, what would my life look like then? And then, like, if you ask kids this, they're so good at being imaginative. Totally. You know? They are. And it's like they come up with the weirdest shit and you're like, where did that even come from? But they know how to use their imagination. Like, yeah. Well, Disney called it imagineering. Mm. You know? Like engineering the future, your imagination, the possibility. And, like, a lot of personal development programs speak to the fact that there's a, there's a circle of our consciousness. A small slither of that is things that we know we know and then there's a small slither of things that are the things that we don't know, that, that we know that we don't know. So, for example, I know that I don't know how to fly a rocket ship, for instance, but I know that. But then there's like 99.9% of the pie, which is things that you don't know you don't know. Yeah. And like that's, that's true. That's huge. You know? yeah. it's like, so yeah. allow yourself to go there, uncover what is currently unconscious to you, and the only way to do that is through imagination. And we see that as like a threatening thing, like don't threaten my constructive reality. But isn't that like wonderment? Mm, when yeah. I think about that, I'm like, holy shit, like life's already so amazing and I've only uncovered like literally a grain of sand in the broader spectrum of what, what there is. Yeah. I often think about like our spectrum of emotions has sort of been defined for us in a way, like this frame of like we've got – say fear down the bottom and then things like guilt, shame, all the way up to like love, joy, truth. Yeah. Imagine when our default, when, because we're going to engage 4% of the population, I literally saw 33 minutes and three seconds as I said that. Thank you, universe. Um, when we do that and that becomes the default, then what if there's actually a whole spectrum of emotion so vast that we actually want relief from the feeling of love? Oh my god! Yeah, because <laughs> it's such. Because then it would be such a lower vibrational yeah. energy compared to all yeah. of the amazing energy. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> you know, someone in, in a talk today said um, years and years ago, most of the population would die at forty. Most mm. kids were a lot of kids would die in childbirth when mm. they were kids, and that was considered. Now, now we live till about a hundred, right? And it's been years since then. And that I was thinking, what if down the road? Whatever work construct that we're living in, right? Right? We live to about a hundred years now. We have these yeah, diseases, that's why cancers. we get married at thirty. That's why you know we think we have this pressure to do all of for these sure. Things. If you lived till three hundred, would you really be stressed about that? And at three hundred, would we look back and say, "Wow, they used to live like that. How crazy!" Yeah, like they used to think that like love was the best emotion uh-huh. out there, or you know, all these things. Mm-hmm. So question for you, what is your big what if right now? Like what is in your life? I know you have this mission, yeah. but what is like the what if for you? Like, uh, what if life were this big? You know, you're a huge visionary. I can see it. Yeah. I have like so many different, like I have a lot of ideas all the time, you know, so I do have to like remain focused on the single what if that I'm like catapulting myself towards in that moment, which for me is this mission. But, like, I, I think about things like, you know, what if um, the the way that we travel through time and space is not the way that sci-fi movies have taught us, you know. Imagine if we could um, find that a, a different way, you know. What does like that even look like? Yeah, something. through our minds. Like, what if, we could, yeah, what if we could bend matter and, like, jump through a wormhole? Like, it doesn't have to be so literal. 
So I think about a lot of things that what do I really want to experience? Like the world is so big, yet in so many ways it already feels so small to me. I really I connect with people like Elon Elon Musk because I feel he um, he understand he must understand so many intricacies of, of our existence as humanity that he just craves for more. Like what else is out there? And um, I think there's been a lot of you know crazy evidence that suggests we're not alone in the universe. I'm not going to go too far into like my views on like you know different dimensions and world, but that what if is definitely something that like I have a weirdly intuitive knowing I will experience in my life. Yeah. You know, and yeah. um, we're young, like we're 26. I saw a speaker at last, was it last MBU or maybe it was an A-Fest, who was a um, longevity, how would you say that? It was into longevity. How would you say that? Long, long, <laughs> longevity. <laughs> we'll go with that. Anyway, someone into longevity. And he said, if you're 25 now, your average life expectancy will be about 130. Mm-hmm. So, okay, take that as truth average not someone super healthy 130 that means we still have you know over 100 years on the planet think about the progression and this is the thing about momentum we've progressed so much as a species just in like 10 15 years and is only getting faster yeah for sure and like it's gonna speed up to the point that right now we can't conceive the rapid way in which we're evolving because time's not real it's a, it's a momentum, it's an energy, it's a wave that you're riding. We're on that wave. Like I can sort of foresee in the next 10 or so years there won't be, because there will be so much um, AI that's doing a lot of our jobs, like yeah. transportation is one of the main employers in the world. When all of that indus- industry is gone, which it will be, like what then? Because really right now p- people's purpose and what people spend a significant amount of their time doing is working to pay the bills. So what yeah. happens when that's, like, eradicated? Totally. And what are the solutions? Maybe a universal-based income, like, that's probably likely. I think that that will have to maybe happen at some point. But then we have, like, you know, 80 hours a week that was previously spent either working or stressed about work to do what? To think philosophically, to be creative, to create new possibility, like, to keep creating so. in the same way that we are now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, most people are becoming nomadic, becoming more mobile, yeah. and we're starting to see that anyways, like the release of this need to be in a corporate job. I read, I read an article earlier this morning. It said a billion people in the next however long it was, like one or two years, are going to be digital nomads. Oh, my God. A that's A billion huge. people. that's huge massive and that also speaks to where we're heading on the mobile scale too like we're becoming global citizens yeah it is true global citizens like yeah one thing i talk about in my book in my last chapter is um i reference one of charles darwin's sort of lesser known work works he wrote this paper was never published unlike survival of the fittest, which I find really interesting. What a lot of people don't know about Darwin is he was a botanist. So think about that. He studied nature. And the premise of this paper that he wrote, which was called The Theory of Artificial Barriers, was the key to our evolution. This was the thesis statement. The key to our evolution is sympathy. And sympathy back then meant compassion. This was in like 1856, I think. He said that. The key to our evolution is compassion. That's amazing. And the premise was humans, just like nature, 
have these artificial barriers. No, sorry, unlike nature, they don't because nature doesn't create it, we create these perceived barriers, these artificial barriers. So things like he talked a lot about nationalism, but also things like, you know, racism, homophobia, um, you know, your your economic standpoint, your financial position. These barriers that he described make it easier for us to dehumanise people that are different to us. Mm -hmm. And the only way for us to evolve, and he references nature and says nature is only ever seeking more of itself. So in order for humans to seek more of themselves, the only way to do that is through compassion and the elimination of barriers. That's awesome. Yeah. He also (laughs) goes in to say, he talks about evolutionary defects. Mm. So he says, like, you know, there are variables, right, and things like um, things that happen in nature too. For example, a fire strikes a forest and all the trees burn down. Or Trump gets into power, <laughs> yeah. and he compares. Obviously, not that because that hadn't happened. But examples of this, and says actually that defect is a necessary element of evolution because only through that defect do we have something to resist against in order to move forward. So we're only ever growing and expanding, and eventually, his premise was humans will have to get to a point where we understand our oneness and our mm. sameness. So I see that's this. super cool. Yeah, and I'm like, people are becoming global because nationalism is will and is becoming irrelevant. Totally. And some people say the only way that we'll be able to find world peace is if we have external factor. Like, there's always. Yeah. It's so interesting, and we don't have to go into this topic, but it's like, <laughs> you know, every force there's an equal and opposite force, right? So it's like whenever good exists, evil also exists, mm-hmm. right? There's always these two forces, like this duality. When we can transcend that into oneness, that would be great in general. But some people think that you have to, there's almost like this external force that would have to come in in order for us to feel that oneness Mm. so that there's still a duality in the the universe in some way. Someone's holding that space. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. Yeah. Well, it's also, you can, you can look at that through um, the lens of atomic behavior. You know, when an atom is observed, its behavior changes. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. So like through being observed by something higher, then we can possibly return to more of our oneness. But I think humans have alluded to this throughout all history. You know, religion is that. What I talk a lot about now in my work is instead of making this um, idea a religion, what if we just settled on the idea that there is a witness? You know, that's why when you're alone, you're not really alone. And I think on a visceral level, enough people have had that experience, you know, like I know yeah. I have when I'm meditating, like I'm not alone. Yeah. There's something witnessing me. I feel it. Mm, for sure. You know? And that gives that sense of community. You just said what did you just said, not, don't make it a religion. Yeah. It's like this consciousness movement or the spirituality. Right? I just see it as like the, the truth, right? I mean, we yeah. don't need to make it anything specific other than yeah. just trust that feeling because mm-hmm. there is, I believe, um, a witness, something that's omnipresent. To me, I call it love. Yeah. You know, and that's is a beautiful thing. Like it, it's the flow of life. It's a rhythm. Mm-hmm. Something that is always there, and yeah. really, we're not separate from because we're a part of nature. That's why For nature. Sure. Like, look in nature. Spend a day in nature and tell me that there's not an intelligence in the way that it's designed. Totally. And that's all I ever want people to open their mind to. Is like, you know, what if that wasn't just a random coincidence 
<laughs> totally. The, the, the waves of intricate. the ocean are the same as like yeah. our waves and our finger when it goes oh, underwater. Right. And <laughs> the fractals of existence, like really, you think that that just was like a random happenstance? Like it's so perfect. It's just, totally. It is painful. Like it's yeah. so much. And when you awaken to it, like for me, when I awaken to that truth, every part of my body was like, fuck, like I know this, you know. It wasn't, yeah. it was beyond. It was totally beyond. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So to kind of wrap this up into a conclusion, I feel like there's so many things we could go and we could talk for hours with this podcast for sure. But what is one thing that you want to leave people with in regards to this mission that you have? And also just the truth of love over fear. Like this is such a huge topic that may seem, you know, obvious, but it's so important. Mm. No, I think um, we can talk about, because it's fun, we can talk about the, the larger scale of interdimensional travel and aliens and, you know, what the world's going to look like in 20 years. But really, to break it down into something that each of us can action, because really love is a verb, you know. It's a, compassion is a verb. It's something that we have to action and become, you know. I think it's what can you do moment to moment to help the people around you feel seen and heard. Yeah. That's it. That's amazing. And if we all focused a little bit more on that and put our own insecurity aside, stop thinking what is this person thinking of me? You know, how am I being perceived um, or judging others? And actually started thinking how can I improve this person's day? I can actually lean in and tell this person what I see in them rather than just telling myself that's silly and, leaving it and walking away you know actually diving into those opportunities moment to moment and sometimes it'll be really small intricate moments that maybe in the grand scheme of thing things don't seem important but how we do anything is how we do everything totally you know like those moments yeah. matter For you sure. you matter in those moments yeah thank you so much nicole that's okay <laughs> i appreciate it <laughs> That's awesome.